Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everybody. So, Mara, I spoke to Kate Mancy recently about coming back to days as Abigail, and she told me that she felt like for her, no time had passed. Well, I have to tell you, I caught up on a lot of days episodes over the weekend, and it's funny because I felt like no time had passed. Um, She really hit the ground running, especially after Marcy Miller had done such masterful work for the past two years. But really, when Kate's Abigail first appeared in the mental institution, I mean, where we last saw her, it just clicked. And even though Kate wasn't the only actress to play an older Abigail, I mean, of course, we saw Ashley Benson in that role. There's really something about an actor reclaiming their part, if you will, that just makes it feel right. I absolutely agree. Uh, I think that that's especially true when it is the originator of the role. You know, there had been two luckies, for instance, on General Hospital who succeeded Jonathan Jackson, uh, Jacob Young and Greg Vaughn. And the character had really evolved away from the character that Jonathan had played. But I think fans were just so happy to see Jonathan again when he returned that it felt seamless anyway. And I certainly felt that same way uh, about Roger Howarth coming back to One Life to Live as Todd. And he worked alongside his replacement, Trevor St. John. In a way, it kind of made more sense to me to discover that Trevor's Todd wasn't really Todd at all because that iteration of the character had done some very untod like things like landing star at the bottom of a staircase comes to mind. Um, And you can kind of say the same thing, though, for Steve Burton working alongside Billy Miller on GH, uh, who had succeeded him as Jason. You know, that kind of thing makes use of the storyline differences in the interpretation of the character by, you know, uh, an actor and his or her recast. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's certainly not a new idea. We've seen it countless other times you know, with Martha Byrne, who left and was replaced by Heather Rattray, which on a side note, I don't think that Lillian Holden fans, myself included, will ever get over the fact that Heather's Lillian Holden got to have the big wedding. Oh, I know. You know, but when Martha came back, um, anything done by Heather was really immediately washed away because Martha was Lily. A hundred percent. And, you know, we also saw it with Eileen Davidson. Yes, Brent Epperson looked a lot like her physically, and Shari Shattuck had the same coloring. But really, there was only one Ashley on YNR, and that was Eileen. And when Eileen came back, you immediately felt that. 
Absolutely. Well, speaking of Holden and Lily, I know we talked about it on the podcast last week, but we recently asked readers to send in their selections for Soap's most romantic moments of all time. And it was really fun and interesting to see the diversity of responses and also what emerged as uh, themes. Oh, for sure. I mean, as a Days fan in the 80s, I would have said Bo stopping Hope's wedding to Larry and then them making love for the first time at Oak Alley Plantation. I mean, those stand out to me so vividly. And that's what we got from so many of the readers. Never mind the Stephen Kalo moments that they all agreed upon. And actually, Mary Beth Evans did as well in our last podcast. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that for some other couples, uh, I'm thinking specifically of John and Marlena on Days and Sonny and Brenda on GH, they got a huge response, but kind of a greater array of moments were mentioned. There wasn't just that one or two defining moments. And by the way, my favorite Sonny and Brenda moment did not make the cut, I will add. Wait, what is it? My favorite moment of theirs was their reunion on the docks when Brenda left Jax to finally be with Sonny once Mm -hmm. and for all. Uh, although the storyline gods had a different fate in mind for them. But I absolutely wore my VCR tape out on that one. (laughs) Well, my favorite Sonny Brenda moment was very early in their courtship. He gave her a diamond bracelet, and I Mm -hmm. just remember where I was here in the office when it aired and feeling like that was so romantic. I think we've both made it clear. We're both big Sonny Brenda fans. And that just (laughs) is a moment that I will never forget. I think what I took away from working on this is that when you have a favorite couple, you really can recall these special kinds of moments with such specificity, even decades later, which really, I think, speaks to the power of soap opera as a medium for telling love stories. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. That's really the beauty and uniqueness of this everyday, no-repeat schedule where you actually get to live in real time through these very special storylines of two people falling in love. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I think we saw so many people say the first time characters said I love you to each other is one of their favorite moments is because when you watch them meet and you watch them spark and you watch them start to fall for each other and you watch them fight their feelings in a lot of instances, that I love you is a really big deal. Oh, it definitely is. And that's really why I loved this section so much. I mean, I really enjoy hearing from the fans and seeing what stands out to them and also seeing if my picks are their picks, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so our guest today was part of a romance that got a lot of response, which was when she played Lois on General Hospital and was paired with Wally Kurtz, Ned, and is now on Bold and Beautiful as Quinn. It's Rena Sofer, who just celebrated a very big milestone that we're going to talk to her about, as well as her very impressive daytime and primetime career. Hi, Rena. Hi, Stephanie. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm good, Thanks. Um, Well, thanks so much for talking today. Uh, I know it's been a big week for you. You just celebrated your 50th birthday, so happy belated birthday. Thank you very much. Uh, You posted some really fun photos on Instagram. Tell us about the party you had. Well, I was agonizing over the idea of celebrating my 50th birthday, not because I didn't want to turn 50 or I was upset about turning 50. I actually feel a heck of a lot of pride at making it this far (laughs) on this planet. Um, But I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, You know, uh, I had a lot of thoughts of traveling or having a small dinner or, you know, maybe just not doing anything at all. And um, my friend Tara Strong, um, who has a big house and a big yard, said, why don't you have your birthday party here? And so 
I started to kind of think about, okay, well, she's a big yard. What would I do? What do I want to do? And I thought I wanted it to be really fun, kind of a 50 going on 15 idea. <laughs> so I rented all of these big bouncy house style things, but it one was a big blow up twister board. One was a big blow up billiards board with soccer balls and a big dart board and a big ski ball. And I just kind of had a taco truck and, and a tequila bar and just invited really the people that I knew really loved me and, um, wanted to be there for me. So I didn't want to have like this big party with hundreds of people. I really wanted it to be people who actually really like me. So, (laughs) so, um, and I've realized that, you know, um, there are a lot of people that do, and I don't think that's something I ever realized before. So that was a, a really amazing gift, and I had wonderful friends fly in. Uh, Lisa Sarasoli, who played V on General Hospital, flew in with her daughter, and Carolyn Hinsey, who used to, who does and used to work for Soap Opera Digest, flew in, and um, it was just a really lovely, lovely time. It looked it. Your cake looked pretty fabulous, and so did those drinks, I'll say. They were fabulous. But let me tell you something. Chef Valerie did an amazing job with my cake and everything. But the one thing I asked from Catherine Kelly Lang was for her boyfriend, Dom, to make me his famous chocolate cake. And I'll tell you, I finished it last night. (laughs) It was so good. (laughs) It looked delicious. I saw that photo too. Um, It looked just like a perfect day. I'm so happy birthday again. It was very perfect day. And my ex-husband, who was shooting in New York City, flew in that morning for three hours to attend my birthday party and then flew back to finish shooting Power. That's sweet, Sandy. Look at him. I know, right? That's love. Yep. Very nice. So we are going to take a little walk down memory lane with you now. Okay. Um, So we're going to start with your first daytime gig was in 1987, a brief role on Another World as Joyce, when you were still a teenager. Um, What do you remember about that experience? I remember auditioning with um, Anne H. and Sandy Ferguson, and um, we all screen tested, and we all three got roles on the show, which was really exciting. Of course, I got the tiniest role. Um, but it was really my first experience on, on a set like that. And, um, it was, it was perfect, you know, uh, to put my foot into the business and flying out, I mean, flying out, driving out to Brooklyn, which was like flying out at that time. It wasn't (laughs) easy. Um, and it was really, uh, it was a really, you know, really nice first experience. And I love the fact that I'm part of the history of, uh, another world. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then the following year, you moved on to Loving, playing Rocky, sister to Trucker, which are some pretty fabulous soap names, if you look back. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> um, so you'd already had now one soap experience under your belt. You know, what? how did it feel going into this one and then landing the role in a pretty significant one? Um, I remember uh, when I went in to, um, audition, it was really exciting. You know, I, I went in, I read with Mark Teschner. It was a really incredible experience. And then I got a callback and I went back for the callback and I did not do a good job. 
And I called my eight, my manager at the time. And I said, I, I don't know what to do. I think I screwed that up. And she said, go back. And this was during the days when you can actually go back. <laughs> You're not, you know, there was, wasn't as much security. And I went back in and I waited until he was done auditioning everyone. And I said, I'm really sorry. I think I screwed up. And he said, you did. You really screwed up. He goes, but for some reason, they want to test you anyway. And I made sure when I went back and tested that I was going to walk out of there doing exactly what I wanted to do and not thinking about the job and the security and the work and being a part of something and, you know, all the stuff that comes with how great this would be, how it would change my life. And I got the job. And, you know, I made friends on that show that I still have to this day. Who are you still in touch with? Well, Richard Steinmetz, I'm still in touch with. Uh, Randy Mantooth, sometimes I'm still in touch with. Uh, I've obviously, Mark Teschner hired me on General Hospital, which I'm sure is your next question. <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, other people that I met on that show that, um, that you know, other people wouldn't remember um, that... Uh, that just stayed in my life. What was the mood of being on that soap in the 80s, you know, where we were sort of at a real high point in daytime? It was like college. You know, we were all so different in our ages, but we all went out together. Me, Randy Richard, Lisa Peluso. um, There were other people as well, but Marisol Nichols, not Marisol Nichols, Marisol Massey, Um, I also worked with Marisol Nichols. That's why I said that. Um, But we all kind of hung out together, spent time together. Um, It was, it was kind of, and you know, we're in New York City in the late eighties and it was just, what an incredible time. I lived 20 blocks from the studio on the West side. I'd walk to work. I'd walk back. We hung out on the Upper West side all the time. We went to bars and restaurants. And I mean, it was really an amazing experience, especially for somebody like me who didn't go to college and went straight into the acting world. Mm-hmm. Right. So such a camaraderie, I'm sure. Yeah, there was. So how did you end up making the move to California? Um, I just, you know, I thought everything was really out here. And at that time, it kind of was. Um, I always looked at the LA soaps as, whoa, th- those are the soaps where you made it, right? As opposed to the New York soaps where it's like, if you can't do theater, you're going to do soaps till you can do theater. Um, it's a whole different world now where most of the work is in New York um, and really not much of it is in LA. Um, but I really wanted to go out to LA and make a name for myself. And, you know, it was it was interesting. I came out here, I worked a little bit, but it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And, um, being a New York actor physically, um, my, my body and my, my being was accepted in a different way than it was here in LA. And that was kind of a hard thing to deal with. I was a little heavier and, you know, I didn't kind of fit the LA actress bill. Um, so it was a little hard for me. Um, and then, um, uh, eventually what happened is Mark, uh, um, Teshner came back into my life and helped me find an agent. And then that agent said, you know, Mark wants to talk to you about something. Mark again called me and said, there's this part on general hospital. 
I said, oh, Mark, I don't want to do another soap. I really want to try and, you know, do something different. And he said, you should read this role. Why don't we go out to dinner? So we went out to dinner and he brought the script. He handed it to me and he goes, let's just read it. I looked at the breakdown and it said, girl from Brooklyn, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, do you want me to do this with a Brooklyn accent? Mm -hmm. And he said, can you do a Brooklyn accent? And I said, yeah, I can do a Brooklyn accent. So we read it over dinner. He brought me in. Uh, I read for the producers. I tested with Wally Kurth and that was it. <laughs> well, Lois certainly made a huge impact on Port Charles and certainly the romance with Ned was one of the most popular pairings of the 90s period. Um, yes. You also won an Emmy for Outstanding Supporting Actress. Um, so yep. it was obviously a huge, you know, life-changing role for you. Um, what are your favorite memories from your GH years? Well, I mean, I loved working with Vanessa and my relationship with her uh, on on screen and also off screen, especially during that time, was so beautiful to me. I, I kind of walked into General Hospital not wanting to do what I did on Loving. I didn't want to make all these friends and make it kind of a college world. I really wanted to do my work, save my money, really make an impact on the show and leave. Um, and, um, you know, I didn't want to stay there forever. I didn't want to do soaps forever. Uh, so I, um, I really, really focused on rounding out this character, making her somebody that wasn't just that wasn't me, but was a full being of her own. And, you know, of course, in the process, I fell in love with Wally. We got pregnant. We got married. Um, and uh, I had Rosabelle and I, you know, started to raise Megan and she became my daughter. And that became a huge part of the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And my relationship with Wendy Rich as well. You know, she was just my producer at that time and she was wonderful, but we really created a relationship afterwards um, that became very, very, very close. It's amazing how like one job can really change the whole course of your life. Whole course of my life changed. Yes. Tell us, what do you remember about the night you won the Emmy? Well, I don't want to be rude to anyone now, but for me to win an Emmy when there were 12 shows on the air and there were all different stories and all different actors and um, it, it really meant something, especially because that was the year that BJ's heart transplant happened. Um, the AIDS storyline was going on. Claire Labine was just brilliant, mm -hmm. right? Just yeah. absolutely brilliant. And for my work to have stood out in that particular year from all those shows, but particularly General Hospital, where it wasn't just my story that really struck people's hearts. It, it, there were so many stories that struck people's hearts um, that really made a, a big difference to me. Well, you mentioned Claire Labine. So what favorite memories do you have of Claire? Well, going to Brooklyn and shooting the wedding, you know, being welcomed into her home and her neighborhood in Brooklyn, meeting really the people that that um, inspired her to write about Lois Cerullo was incredible. 
You know, it was really incredible. And she loved my character. It was, it was part of her heart. Um, so I always felt like I was, I was, um, paying homage to her and her brilliant writing every time I spoke on set. Uh, well, Claire even created a spinoff for the Ned and Lois characters, Heart and Soul. Did that feel like an honor to you? It was. It was an honor. And I really, I, we, we dreamed of doing that, really being, you know, making that our, our show. It was so sad that it, it never went anywhere, but it would have been amazing. It would have been, I think, a really fun, different kind of show. Oh, yeah. Like, it's just crazy to think that, you know, Port Charles was what they went with as opposed to that and maybe how things could have been different just in, in all over had it gone with heart and soul. Exactly. Um, so now you worked with uh, Maurice Bernard, you know, in the early years of the show and when he was on and a pre-superstar Ricky Martin. You know, what what can you tell yeah. us about working with those guys? I mean, I loved working with Maurice, but Maurice was really, his story was really with Vanessa. You know, I mean, the sad part about all of that is they never really played out my story of growing up with Sonny. Um, so it wasn't really as fleshed out as it could have been. Um, so, you know, that to me is the the kind of miss that, that happened in, in the show. But working with Ricky was, I mean, it was a difficult time in his life. And he really didn't speak any English. He was so at a loss, but it was so fun working with him and then going to Puerto Rico with him and seeing his world, you know, um, up close. Um, he's such a lovely man to this day. When I see him anywhere, he'll go, Rena, <laughs> um, which is amazing. You know, I mean, people, people look at somebody like me and they'll think, oh, celebrity, but I'll look at somebody like Ricky and go, well, he's a huge star. And the fact that he remembers me is, uh, un it's incredible, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That says a lot about him too. Yes. So what led to your leaving General Hospital? Um, I think what really happened is um, when I was on Loving and they stopped writing for me, it was really heartbreaking. You know, just being on a show where you can't do anything else, but they don't really want you anymore um, was really difficult. And I, you know, once Ned and Lois were happily married, um, the truth is they stopped writing for me and they stopped writing for me for about nine months. And I just went, I don't want to do this again. I don't want to get stuck for another three years in what I call serving coffee. You know, mm -hmm. I show up, I serve coffee and I leave because they have to, you know, give me my guarantee. And so, um, um, and I was young and, and really wanted the opportunity to, you know, get out there. I'd won an Emmy and, and Lois was comedy. She did a lot of comedic things and I knew that I could do comedy. So I wanted to give that a shot. Um, ABC offered me a development deal. Um, and I took it and left the show and, you know, started auditioning for things and, and started booking a lot of things. Yeah. You do have some pretty impressive credits, um, yeah. in both Seinfeld and friends, of course, um, yeah. never mind Melrose place in 24, um, and so many other shows that you yes. did. So, you know, are there any that you really loved any, any experiences that really stand out to you from your post GH career? 
Um, I'd say Ed is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, little known show, but such a great show. Um, I just love that character. Um, and uh, I loved, um, I loved 24. Uh, I loved working with Kiefer. He was an amazing actor to work with. And um, it was an amazing show to work on. And, and NCIS, really one of my favorite shows as well was NCIS. But, you know, I really love the shows that I did pilots of, um, you know, coupling, even though it only made it on the air for four episodes, it was an incredible experience. Um, I was a big fan of the, of the British series and to be able to have done the American series was great. Oh, Grow Up was, you know, it was um, created by Alan Ball, who after our show went on to do True Blood, you know. So um, it was, it, you know, I've, I've really been lucky in, in being able to do so many wonderful things. Uh, Melrose Place, you know, um, it's it's been a really interesting and um, exciting career. To say the least, for sure. Um, so do you ever catch yourself with all the repeats of Seinfeld and Friends? Do you ever flipping channels oh my God. and there well, you are? Carolyn Hinsey was over last night. She started to get Avalon to watch Seinfeld because <laughs> Avalon just, just finishing How I Met Your Mother. Mm-hmm. And, and so they put my episode on and after it was over, I was like, can we now turn this off? Because I, I mean, I'm, I didn't, I don't, I don't really, I don't really care to watch any of my old stuff. I only show Avalon it sometimes because she's 13 and just getting old enough to see, you know, the stuff that I've done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's really interested more in her father's side of the business, not as much in my side of the business. She really likes the creation of it and the direction and the shots. So, you know, sometimes I have to fight a little bit for attention on the <laughs> sense of, you know, hey, I've done really interesting things. Want to see? <laughs> and she's like, no, but I want to shadow dad when he's directing. She's like, yeah, no, I love it. And she's very supportive of me. But really, I mean, she would, if she came to set with me, she'd rather be in my room playing video games. If she went to set with her dad, she wants to yell action. Aw. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So in 2013, you came back to daytime to play your current role, B&B's Quinn. How did they get you back? Uh, Well, the thing is, um, very little is shooting in Los Angeles anymore at that point. And um, it started to be where movies were slacking off a bit and stars, you know, big stars were starting to do television series. And a lot of the big stars were like, I'll only do this television series if it shoots in LA because they started having kids and they wanted to be home with them. And that really dried up the ability for somebody like me to just go and do anything because at that point I had Avalon and, um, my husband at the time, Sandy, really didn't want her raised by a nanny. But, you know, where Wally was on a show in, in L.A., um, Sandy it was a director and a producer and, you know, would fly off for, you know, anywhere from five to seven months out of the year um, doing shows in Canada or New York or, you know, Vancouver, wherever he was going. And so somebody had to be home. And I you know, I took that hit, quote unquote, it really wasn't a hit, but I took the, the role of, you know, being the person who stayed home all the time. And 
you know, I would do episodes of, you know, shows here and there, uh, um, NCIS 24, but it was very hard to get a full-time job that might say, Hey, we're going to move the show to Atlanta. Well, I can't go to Atlanta. I've got a child here. And, and so, um, it was just the, the decision we made, um, as a, as a family that I would be here. So when, uh, when, um, Bold and the Beautiful came around and said, would you be interested in doing the show? You know, the thought was being able to take my daughter to school, go and do some work and then be home when she came home. It really, it really looked like a good idea. And so that's kind of what happened. And it's just become such an easy way of life to, um, you know, be here for my daughter, make a living and, you know, continue working as an actress until the time comes where I can, you know, I can be free to just follow my heart and my roles and my career. And I don't have to um, put myself behind my daughter's needs. Mm -hmm. And it seems to have worked out. Um, yeah. Now, Quinn's such a great character. What do you love about playing her? Um, I like the fact that she was not good, um, but not cartoonishly evil. There's a reason behind why she is who she is. My favorite scenes um, are probably all those scenes with Torsten in the hotel room in uh, in in San Francisco, and all of the wedding stuff with John. I mean, that really was my favorite era of Quinn where, you know, you understood why she was who she was. You, um, you got it, you know, you really understood it. And, um, and also, um, how deeply she was able to learn how to love from this incredible man. And I think the thing I love the most about the way Brad and, and, and everyone has written Quinn is they respected the fact that she wasn't just evil. She was this human who was able to uh, evolve over the years that I've been playing her. And I love that. Um, and you're in a very fun story right now with this big rivalry brewing between Pam and Quinn and then with Donna involved. Um, so you're really mixing it up with new people. What's it been like to work with Allie and Jennifer? Uh, well, I haven't really worked very much with them. Um, the story kind of started and stopped. So we're hoping that it picks up again. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I love working with Allie. Uh, I think Allie's character is somebody that is so much, um, um, so much depth and so many places to go. And the idea of being able to work with Jen um, um, is so exciting because she has such history. It's not like there's this pretty girl coming in you know, and, um, taking Eric away, she was married to him. They have a history together, you know, and the thing about Eric is he has this, um, he always has this, um, um, commitment to the people in his life. And Quinn doesn't quite understand it. Um, because she, she just thinks it's just us and it should just be us. And can't he see through their BS, so to speak, but he he chooses to be loyal 
as opposed to, um, you know, seeing people's faults. And that's the beauty of Eric. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell us about working with John McCook. I can't even, I, 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 it's going to sound as if he pays me a tremendous (laughs) amount of money to talk about him because, um, his heart is so huge as a human being, as a person, as an actor. Um, I, I don't think I've ever loved someone as deeply and as dearly as I love John McCook. And I, and you know, Catherine says it to me all the time. Catherine Kelly Lang says, you know, you know, if you want a storyline, you should stop talking about how much you want Quinn and Eric to stay together because the best way to get a story is if you guys break up. And I'm like, (laughs) I just don't know how I would handle that because I care for him the way a wife cares for her husband. And, you know, all respect to Lorette, his real life wife, when we're on that set, I feel like he is my responsibility and he is my husband. And I think he feels the same way about me. And I just love him so, so much in the purest sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, he guested on the podcast uh, about a month or so ago. We loved him too. Um, and actually, we've spoken to pretty much all of your co-stars, including Darren and Don and Scott and Torsten. I mean, you're really surrounded by a great group of men over there. Oh, hell Yes. It must be fun to see yeah. what, what's coming. Now, you do not have a son in real life. So what has it been like to develop that dynamic with Darren over the years? I just think Darren and I have fun because I always play Quinn. And this will maybe be a secret to everyone out there. Um, I always play Quinn as if Quinn um, was Wyatt's first girlfriend. <laughs> and I know that sounds really, really gross. But if you ever look at the way she looks at her son and touches him, you'll go, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It's going to yeah. take on so, a whole new view. Well, for those for those viewers who are listening to this right now, Start watching it that way and you'll all go, oh, <laughs> and then and then you'll go, ew. And it's funny because Darren and I, you know, we really like playing that. You know, he plays it like, mom, mom, stop, mom, stop. But with the understanding that I probably taught him everything he knows. And the other characters on the show are just like, it's just so gross. It's so gross, Rena. It's so gross. And I'm like... But it works and it does, you know, that's our backstory, mm-hmm. you know, it's probably, true. probably shared a bed until it was really, really like until he probably went off to college. <laughs> um, now, Stephanie's portrait is like, I mean, an iconic prop in B&B lore. Um, how did it feel? Not to, anymore. Yeah, I know. How did it feel to do those scenes where you put your foot right through it? Well, those scenes were such a pain in the ass in the first place because that that portrait is heavy. <laughs> and Allie and I are fighting over it in heels, in open-toed heels. And it was on a carpet and it moved and it kept it we Allie 
almost broke her foot and I almost broke my toes because it kept bouncing on our feet. Um, Eventually, once my foot went through it, that was quite um, fun. And, you know, John McCook was like, get your foot through that thing. I've had enough of it. You know, it's, <laughs> um, but it, it was really, it was really, I mean, that's, that's the fun is things aren't so precious that you're, um, that you're not able to move forward, you know? And, and listen, it took a lot of courage for Brad to have me put my foot through Stephanie's portrait. You know, for all those fans who stay, you know, near and dear to Stephanie Forrester. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was shocked, I have to say. Yeah. Now, on Instagram, you shared that you've taken up a new passion, woodworking. Tell us about that. Um, I've always been interested in woodworking. I've never... I've always been the person who goes to a lumber yard, buys a bunch of wood, buys a bunch of tools and makes something, but doesn't really know what the hell I'm doing. And, um, and so I decided to join a wood shop here in Los Angeles in order to learn really what it was I really always wanted to do. And I think, you know, I got divorced, um, a couple of years ago and, um, I, I, I think in my marriage, I lost myself and it wasn't anybody's fault, but my own. And so, you know, you get divorced, you move into a house by yourself. You're, you know, I'm living with my child. We adopted two rescue dogs that started to change my world and I'm working on the show. And then all of a sudden I'm, I, you know, this last year, I really haven't had a lot to do. And I thought, well, what do I want to do with my days? Um, and I have these children who are the most creative children on the planet. My daughter, Rosabelle's amazingly creative. And very bright to boot. uh, Yes. And Avalon is brilliant. Um, And Megan is just this insane painter, sculptor. Um, um, she's, She's an incredible editor. She made a movie all by herself that I swear to God brings me to tears. And so... I have all three of these children that are so creative and I really have only put myself in the position of being an actor where I really don't think I'm the most creative. So I signed up for this woodworking course. I signed up for a ceramics course and I just started working with my hands. I can't draw for, for shit, really. I'm sorry if that's not a word I'm allowed to use, but I cannot draw at all. I can't even draw stick figures. I hate Pictionary. But I really like working with my hands. So I joined these, you know, these two classes and really started to focus on making things that I really enjoyed and I really liked. Um, And that's just been an amazing experience. And then, you know, and then I got into um, dog rescue, you know. Um, I saw those puppies this week. What's going on there? I, I, you know, I... I got my dogs, Alfie and Mega, from this rescue, and I became really close friends with one of the um, men who um, worked for the rescue. And um, we have stayed in touch, me and him and Lori Yale, who's our stage manager on Bold the Beautiful. We're on a daily um, um, uh, group messaging um, where we just share pictures of our dogs and talk about dogs. And he's always showing us pictures of all of these rescue dogs that he works with. 
And every now and again, he'll be like, hey, there's a dog that needs um, to be fostered. Rena, are you interested? Uh, and I'm like, oh, God, if I, if I do, I'm going to keep it or whatever. And, you know, the first time I fostered a dog, Keith Oberman um, was on Twitter saying, emergency, need a rescue for this, you know, little white dog, 10 years old, has no teeth, is blind and partly deaf. We need to find, it needs an emergency shelter or it's going to be put down. Boom. There I go. And I started to take care of it. And about a week later, one of the stage managers on our show had a dog who's 10 years old, was deaf and had no teeth and slightly blind and was like, she was looking for a companion for it. I'm like, well, boy, do I have that companion. So she adopted that dog. And then I was like, okay, let's chill out. And then all of a sudden, my friend Ed calls me and says, I have a street dog. She's albino. She's pregnant. Would you be interested in fostering her until her babies are ready to be adopted? Oh my God. Wow. Okay. Um, And so I said to Avalon, I said, you know, when are we ever going to foster a dog, watch it give birth, take care of the puppies and then find them homes? And she was like, you're insane, mom. And I'm like, (laughs) I know, I know. But and she said, um, she said, sure. It's been the best experience. Mind you, the puppies are now like, you know, they used to always stay in one little place. You didn't really have to worry about it. The mom took care of everything. Now they're being fed and they're running all over the place <laughs> and pooping all over the place and being all over the place. So now it's like, Ur, but they're, they're also at their cutest stage right now. So um, but I've already found a home for two of them. The mom and, and the baby boy are going to my brother and his husband. Oh. Which, so now I get to keep them in my life, which is fabulous. Yeah. And, um, and now I have three girls and I don't know, I think I may adopt one of the girls cause she's, I, her name is Emma, but I call her my favy because <laughs> she's my favy. I was looking at those puppies thinking, is she really going to be able to give all of them away? Yes, I will. <laughs> Yes, because they're puppies and they chew things and rip (laughs) things apart and they are so much work. And my two rescue dogs just passed the two-year stage and they're they're in their very last year of you can't trust them for anything, you know? (laughs) Um, So yeah, and now I'm going to, what, start a whole two years of, you know, not being able to trust my dogs. So yeah, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. Well, the videos are adorable in the meantime. Thank you. So, Rena, now that we've looked back, um, tell me how it feels and what it means to you to have been in daytime for 31 years and for you to really have found a career and home here. Um, I think that it, it's it been such a safe place for me to be able to go and to come back to. Um, you know, so many people stay in this circle so that you have this camaraderie and you feel kind of safe and secure in this group of, of, of people. Um, and, um, and it's really given me the opportunity to, to grow, to, um, have a job, to be a mom, uh, raise my kids, um, have an income and do some really fun, creative work and make friends with people that I've had in my life uh, for 30 years and will continue to have in my life, hopefully for the next 30 years. Wonderful. Well, we look forward to seeing what you'll be doing next as Quinn. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you so much for having me. I hope to talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Rena Sofer for being our guest. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast.